0: You're listening to Just, stories about the people working to build thriving communities rooted in justice. I'm Jess Averhart, co-founder of Black Wall Street Homecoming.
1: And I'm Rob Shields, executive director of the ReCity Network.
0: All right, look, so here's why we're here. We're here to get proximate. We're here to listen. We're here to process. And we're here to help you process.
1: But here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to be preachy. Because we don't have all the answers and we will never make you feel like an outsider.
0: Keeping with the theme of sharing, we always want to acknowledge the whole person. And that starts with our personal, personal check-in. check-in. Let's do it. Oh, Man. welcome back. And we're, we're back. back. We're back. Y'all. I wish you guys could listen to our pre-recording because we just, we go somewhere and back around and over a mountain and through the woods. A lot of fun. Rob.
1: Hey, hey, you, you how there? you doing, Jess? I'm here. I'm here, I'm, and as I, I can see, you're caffeinated. I'm caffeinated we're all caffeinated. caffeinated
0: Yeah, he's got his duncan he's got his duncan cup, which is great. so we are ready to go. We are ready for our listeners today. I'm so excited about today's conversation, and I get to talk to my friend about the amazing work that he's doing. So I know we start with our check-ins, but I just want to tell, tell our uh, listeners that this is going to be a lot of fun, and we're going to learn a lot today. so so buckle up rob i get to do your check-in first today that's kind of fun how are you
1: you do get to do my check in i am doing good as our listeners hopefully can hear a difference we we're moving on up in the world jess we're
0: mm-hmm. i'm we're not make- but you are you look amazing and you got this up.
1: this is the equipment you buy when you are landlocked and you're not going to spend the summer traveling you get your own special kit because you're going off and doing all the things all summer so you need kind of the road trip the reinvention <laughs> version of all this equipment which is coming your way but yeah for our listeners it. who can hear us and hopefully hear a difference in in my voice we're we're upgrading some of our equipment so you can we can mic up and do our guest justice you see what i did there that was good yeah Really like we good. need to copyright yeah. some kind of something like that. So that yeah. <laughs> our guests get a our guest organization get a dollar every time we, we we do that. We trademark it. But no, we were we got new equipment, which is cool. And we also have first time on video. This is a day of firsts. It is. I mean we're gonna be and you look launching good, friend. A, thank you. I think I needed to finally invest in like, you know, a collared shirt for for this inaugural mm-hmm. video version of the episode. So this is exciting. Give people more ways to be able to access this content, put a wider platform out there for our guests. I think this is really exciting represents a a fun step for us as on this journey together. So I'm excited. How are you doing? You already told me offline that you're three cups in uh, on your coffee for your morning. So I know the energy and the blood's flowing. I know that much, but fill fill in the gaps. Tell me what else is new.
0: Yeah, it is. It's all those things. And when that happens, team, I interrupt. I mean, I interrupt and like my brain and my mouth just keep rolling. So I'm trying to like bring it down about five notches. I'm trying and I'm doing great. I have had a good week. I took the seven AM train to Charlotte two days ago and then came back yesterday to see a dear friend of mine get the North Carolina Women Business Owners Hall of Fame Award. Whoa! and I was super proud and just Joseph knows her too, she's a good friend of our guest today as well. I mean just so proud of her. She's worked really hard to build a multi million dollar construction business, right? So she's a woman in a male dominated industry and it was just good to support her, and it was a ton of fun to take the train and do something a little different, worked on the way down. And, oh, you took and a train. On the train. I'm back. jealous. Yeah, I took the train. Mm-hmm. I love the of idea
1: fun. of taking a train. Is that as idyllic as it is in my mind? Because when I envision it, it's like super relaxing. You're getting to multitask. You're not having to have your hand on the wheel. Like, what was it like? Yeah,
0: it really is. Yeah, no, everybody says, oh, you got to take the train because the Wi-Fi and the this and the that, and it's actually true. It really is that convenient and restful and all the things and you get tons of leg room, you know, if you're on a plane or whatever, you don't get hardly any, but on the train, you basically get like two rows of a plane on the train. It's nice, Mm -hmm. really nice. So next time you head to Charlotte, throw that big family of yours on the train and they would enjoy it. And it's cheap. (laughs) (laughs) I mean,
1: my, my wife may, may hear this later, but I think, you know, for her and I, our ideal version would be like leaving the kids, that the quiet of the train is actually the biggest draw. So I think get a babysitter and just go, doesn't matter if there isn't even a meeting there. It's just the the trip, the silence of the the journey would be what is the most appealing (laughs) part. Yes,
0: yes. I got to say that sounds like it's a great date. And at least from Raleigh, obviously heads to Durham. So you're like a two hour, two hour, 45 minute uh, train ride, which isn't bad. Yeah, you should do that. She would probably love that. Mm -hmm. All
1: right. I'm going yep, go to go to dinner away.
0: and then hit the train back. Yeah. I'll give you
1: credit. I'll give you credit for it.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, that's that was fun. little check in. Let's dig into today. Are you Let's ready? Let's do
1: it. I'm ready. I'm so ready, man. I am so ready for this conversation. I get, feel like... <laughs> This is gonna be fun. It feels like a little mini family yeah, reunion is what this is gonna feel like. I I can, feel. It,
0: it, it does feel like that because we're all such close friends and doing really great work. Joseph is Joseph Featherstone, who's our guest, is, is doing has been doing incredible work in the community for a very long time. Mm. He has just recently pivoted into a new role at the Durham Children's Initiative, which is a renowned organization here in Durham that does incredible work, very deep community work. And so we're gonna talk about that in a second, but I think just kind of setting our day up, what are we talking about today for our listeners? They're like, what are we doing? What we're talking about today is sort of the, listen, we've just came out of, we're in the still in the middle of this pandemic, but we're kind of seeing our way through, kids are going back to school. And the question on everybody's mind, particularly parents, I know Rob on your mind is like, hmm what kind of damage what's the distance what what was the impact that the pandemic had on our kids right and yeah. that is a question that if you're not asking we should be asking it because it will impact our community for years to come and so yeah. this year has a has, has a, there's a lot of stakes high stakes year for us there's a statistic that that we pulled that from the world economic forum that says that an estimated 1.2 billion students around the world this year were out of the classroom because wow. of the pandemic. While in the United States, over 55 million K-12 students didn't receive in-person instruction. So listen, team, 55 million of our young people here in the United States did not receive in-person instruction over the last nine months. That's a problem. Yeah. That is a problem. It doesn't really matter how you slice it. You know, the kids are going to be suffering from that in, in many ways, right? If it's socio-emotional or if it's mm-hmm. just simply staying on track with their learning. So Joseph is going to be able to help us see this kind of from a 30,000 foot perspective and also, also really dig in on his work at DCI. So who's Joseph besides being one of our dear friends, right? I mean, that's real. Joseph comes to us from the YMCA. He was there for 20 years. Like I said, he's working now in his new role at the Durham Children's Initiative. He started with the Y as an after-school counselor and then moved into many different leadership roles, which is where I met him. He was leading various YMCA's in Durham, here in Durham, North Carolina. He also led the African American Hispanic Latino Resource Network, which was the first ERG for in the YMCA network here in Durham, and ERG is employee resource group. So He's a trailblazer in that way, too, really a champion for diversity, equity and inclusion. And so really proud of the work that he did at the Y. So fun facts for Joseph, things I didn't know, which, again, is also why I want to make sure I read this because I wanted to get it right. He's a proud fan of the Vampire Diaries. And I was giving him a really hard time about this beforehand. That's just what you all missed. Yes, you were. I stumbled into that conversation. Yeah, my son watches the vampire diaries. I'm like, what are you doing? You're a grown man watching vampire diaries. And the truth is that I've actually seen a few of those episodes too. So I really was just giving him a hard time. Joseph, it seems like has a thousand bow ties, but he does have about a hundred. And every year on his birthday month is March, he wears a bow tie every day during the month of March to celebrate his birthday, which has really become quite the tradition for all of his friends and family, people who follow him. And last but not least, when he sees a penny, Joseph always takes a picture of it, did not know that either, and picks it up, which is good. That's why you've had all this great luck, friend, all this great <laughs> luck. And what you don't see in here is he's a proud husband and father of two, no. and just a really good all around guy. And it, like I said, a great friend to, to Rob and I, and we're, we're genuinely really happy to have you on with us today, Joseph. So
2: thanks for being here, friend. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing well. I appreciate it. Hey, listen, I I don't like a whole lot of attention, so I'm blushing over here. That's a whole lot for me. So I appreciate it. Thank you for the kind words and just um, having me on on this podcast with you all. Two amazing um, people, giants in this world with you, Jess and Rob. Y'all are just um, truly um, amazing folks. And I am just grateful and honored to be in this space with y'all.
0: Oh, that's so kind. Well, I think Rob and I really just feel like we're here to amplify voices like Mm. yours because you're Mm. doing all that really deep community work and we're really proud of you. And so, again, thanks for being here with us today. Now, we do our check in. You heard me yammering on about my train trip and all of the things. And Rob sounds amazing today because he's got great tech. So we want to (laughs) know we want to check in with you and do a little personal check in with you. Maybe just tell us one or two words, describe how you're feeling And then dive right into your new work at DCI. So many know you, at least locally, with your work at the YMCA. But you're in the vice presidential role now at the Durham Children's Initiative. And tell us a little, talk to us about how you're doing, and then just tell us what you're doing at DCI.
2: Great. So two words that I I use when people ask me that question is is trying and hopeful. Mm. Every day I'm trying, and every day I'm hopeful. I'm trying to stay hopeful. (laughs) I'm trying not to be angry. (laughs) I'm trying not to be sad, but at the end of it is hope. And that's how I'm feeling. That's um, how I live really my life is around not giving up. And I think for me being hopeful in all of the things that's going on in the world, but every day getting up, trying to see the good, trying to be better, trying to impact, trying to encourage, inspire in part, I'm just trying Mm. and I got to do my part in that.
0: I love so, that. Uh, I'm inspired already. Just listen to that. <laughs> I need to try harder, I feel like. Let me try harder. Joseph's over there trying. Uh, yeah. Let
2: me try too. Yeah. That's I'm great. Trying. Thank so, you for that. so with my, my work with, with DCI, uh the vice president of, of programming, coming from the YMCA and and really just diving in to DCI, Trigger initiative, of course prior to DCI, it was EDCI, East Durham Children's Initiative, partnered with PYO, Partner for Youth Opportunity, and they merged and it became not just an East Durham um, ecosystem, but a Durham ecosystem to really try to dive in to all of our families and our kids in Durham. And so really our purpose is to build pathways to equity for all of our families and our kids. The vision is uh, for every youth um, to graduate from high school, college, or career ready. That's very important college or career, because every high school graduate is not going to go to college. So how are we equipping them to make sure they're ready for a career, a trade or something that's going to help them along life and be sustaining? And then our mission is to create a pipeline of high quality services for our youth um, and their families that overcome the barriers to their success. Mm. And that is where the meat of the work is, because we work uh, with families, some that are in poverty, some that are not, but all have the same thing, which is, they need an extra hand. They need some extra help. And so how do we come in to advocate for them, advocate with them, walk alongside them in their journey when if it's a basic needs, if there's something going on in their in the, in the household, social, emotional for their kids, if it is academic support, which is what we have our advocates for to really help walk alongside individuals when they go to school. So if there's a school counselor meeting and we need an advocate to walk with the parent and be there to help support and talk through. We got you. If there is a child that needs some extra help and we are checking your grades, how are you doing? How are your attendance? What are some of the interventions that we can help get to you to help you be successful? That's our main goal. How do we help you and make sure that you are successful? Not doing it for you, but doing it with you so that you're empowered, so that you are encouraged and you can actually do the work, too. Because at the end of the day, the thing is, and I think this is, in my opinion, for any great organization, is how do we stop needing people to to need us? How do we get to the point where people don't need us? Mm. And that's the main thing. We wanna get people to a point where they're self-sustaining and they don't need DCI, but they also can share what DCI has done and pay it forward and get other families involved Mm. with what we do.
1: All right, Jess, I don't think I need cups two and three of coffee, because Joseph's got (laughs) me fired up this morning. I feel like two words jump out of me of the values that I think, Joseph, you're hitting on there that seem to just follow you wherever you go because you live and breathe them. One is holistic and really with the YMCA now with DCI serving the whole person, right? And how necessary that is mind, body, spirit, to really provide and kind of wrap around services because you can't just pull it one, one thread and treat one symptom. You got to really dig deep. And then there's a complicated web of interconnected roots that you got to be able to address to really see people flourish. And then you're also about empowerment, which is amazing. You're about empowering people and really seeing them as assets. That have their own spark that you're fanning into flame with a little help from your organization. And so I, I want to rewind the tape a little bit, kind of come go back so that we can go forward. You're on the ground, you're doing the work, you're getting proximate, which is a word we use all the time on this podcast, yep. which I think means you're really uniquely positioned to give us some insight, especially to our listeners who might be less proximate to some of the issues right. that you see really clearly in in your work from your role. Mm-hmm. So let's roll the tape back to February, 2020 right before you know mark cuban looked at his phone and saw the nba was canceled before all this craziness happened you know we all asked where were we mid march we said this before on our show you know covid didn't create injustices or barriers you mentioned yeah. kind of helping your young people overcome barriers you know those existed before this you know in many cases what covid did was it revealed and perpetuated these existing fault lines in our Mm -hmm. communities. Can you talk a little bit more about the barriers that your students and their families were navigating before the pandemic?
2: Yeah, two words, attention and access. And let me share that. Our families were battling attention in that folks already didn't see the need that they needed. They didn't see the struggles that was going on. They didn't realize what was happening or they realized it and it was other things that were more important. So the pandemic Heightened the fact that we were not paying attention to the least of them. We didn't give the attention that we needed to give, the direct attention, the intentional attention to those individuals to make sure that they were set up for success, set up for advancement, set up for all the things that they needed, even when it comes down to food security or insecurity, housing. Let's think about it for a second. McDougal Terrace housing crisis happened. It's still happening, COVID happened, we have not heard much more about McDougal Terrace. Mm -hmm. There's an attention gap. And so other things have become more important. Even before COVID, there were other things, unfortunately, more important than our disenfranchised families, than our misplaced families, than our kids that were struggling to get to school for whatever reason, The, the social services that they needed that they didn't get. There was a lack of attention towards them. And then there's access. Without intention, there was no access. If I'm not thinking about you, I'm not thinking about how do you get to what you need to have either. I'm not thinking about that you have to take a bus or walk to wherever you need to get to. I'm not thinking about how you you don't have access to um, quality healthcare, quality food. You don't have access to quality education because let's be real, there are some schools that get more than other schools. And so there's an access, equity, attention, Issue. And those are the things that our families have been suffering from before. And even now, we got to pay attention to the least of them, to the ones that don't have it but need it the most. That's where we invoke the equity because we realize it's not about equality, everybody getting what they, everybody getting the same thing. It's about equity. I'm getting what I need to survive, to thrive, to go forward. I need certain attention. Certain people, certain industries, certain organizations need to give more attention to those who need us the most. And that's one thing that I feel has been lacking and has lacked even before the pandemic and even going on now. You just got to think about like it's it's the unseen things that we don't really see happening because we don't pay attention to it.
0: That's right. I was just thinking about McDougal Terrace. That's what I was like. My mind went right back. You're right. There's been this.
2: The gloss over. Yeah.
0: Sadly, yeah, it's just like, you're right, this this fast food sort of mindset that we have, what's the latest, what's the greatest, where can we throw our resources and move on? Leaving communities like McDougal Terrace, well, you know, this didn't happen overnight, it's not going to be fixed overnight. We need a real strategic approach to supporting the families there, Mm -hmm. which really leads me into this next question around impact. High level we know that there's this idea of digital divide. You go out into the rural communities, everybody's talking about broadband access and how that was hugely challenging and catastrophic in many ways for our young people in rural communities. But the digital sure. divide was real in our urban communities, too, just having access to computers and Internet and And things like that, the learning loss that's taken place over the last year, there are layers to this, right? It's an onion. You peel it back and you think, oh, I'm there I'm at the middle. Oh, wait, there's another layer. There's another layer. You know, you have a YMCA, your specialty is wellness and health, mental health, physical well-being. There's that layer. So why don't you talk to our listeners about what you're seeing? Talk to us about those layers, the digital divide, the learning loss, health and wellness, mental health. And I know you're not an expert in all those things. So I'm not <laughs> saying give us all the deep, right? What I am saying right. though is you're, you're seeing it in a way that that our listeners are not. So if you wanna just share with us what you're seeing and how those layers are, are having a true impact on our young people,
2: be great. Yeah, it's so interesting in that it is, of course it's hit our young people harder than before, right? Of course the access to internet, broadband, like fast speeds was not really in our communities. And you think about it, if our kids are not going to school, but they're actually having to do school at home. And if I got three kids in a house with already spotty internet, when I'm already trying to get three kids online and it doesn't work, oh wait, I gotta work from home as well. So that means I gotta be on. Like, it's almost near impossible. Now, I I love the fact that like DPS, they had the the hotspots of the buses and things of that nature, like, yes, great. But at the end of the day, it's almost near impossible for our kids to really get what they need going to school in that way. And so really encouraged and really excited about the way the YMCA really responded. So let me hit two things YMCA and DC saw the need, saw the gap and filled it with the scholastic support centers. So, yeah, we don't have parents have to go to work, essential workers or non-essential workers, whatever the case may be. I got to get to work. How do I make sure that my kid is on on the screen and in class? What well, the Y said, we have an idea. Let's do the scholastic support centers. Bring your kids here. We will set up areas in our YMCA's because we're not already open right now. We got different areas, different spots. Bring your laptops, got your passwords, log on. Guess what? The YMCA has... Wi-Fi, boom, like we're good. Now that's only a small population, but it's also impacted a population that needed it the most. Right. Mm -hmm. The same thing with Durham Children Initiative. Saw the need, saw the gap. Academic coaching was something that our kids needed. They were failing because it's crazy. We went from too much screen time, too much screen time to get on the screen, get on the screen, get on the screen, get on the screen, right? And so even with that, with academic coaching for our kids who were not really performing well, and needed the extra care, needed extra help. DCI decided, like, hey, let's figure out how do we do some online academic coaching, sign up, kids K through 12, and you get individual connection with the academic coach to help you continue to do the work, be involved, be successful, feel empowered, feel good. Because if you think about it, like if I'm not doing well in school, I'm not really doing well in other places because I'm so down because I'm not doing well. I don't have my grades up. And so those are some of the ways and some of the things that we have done with the YMCA and DCI to really impact our community. Not only me, but, you know, Kate's Corner has done the same thing, right? I love Kate's Corner. I love Kate has done the same thing. Different folks, different pockets are doing the work. But if you think about it, we got 33, 34,000 students to go to DPS schools. Like that's a small population. And we still have kids that teachers have not seen all school year because of the digital divide, because they didn't have access. Hear me say that access not only to the Internet but access to get to the places where they can get what they need it so that they can be successful. And so there's so much of a big gap when it comes to that. And we just gotta figure out how do we work better together playing in the same sandbox, right? Not taking our ball and go home when we don't get our way, but how do we do this thing together? Because at the end of the day, it's about our kids and our families to make sure that they are supported and that they are growing and again, thriving. Again, attention and access. To all of it. and the digital divide we said it, it it didn't just start we see it here now what are we going to do about it later if we go back to doing the same things we've done before COVID, then we've missed the lessons of COVID. if we're not innovative and creative and more intentional about the work we're doing and about the families we're serving and about the ways we can serve them and how we can do these things differently if we just go back and be like you know what things are good now Let's just do the things we're saying when we did. We've missed the message and we got to make sure we don't miss the message.
1: Yeah. I want to dig in more deeply and kind of camp out there for a minute, Joseph, because I think you're bringing up a powerful point. You know, in many ways, having worked with the Y for 20 years, and now with DCI, you've worked with two different, pretty big institutions, right? That are taking kind of ecosystem approaches to your work, right? This whole mantra of it, it takes a village. And I think the size and scope of both of those entities reflect that, which also makes everything you just said all the more impressive, because you named how these two big entities, typically it's a lot harder to turn a bigger boat, right? And yet yeah. you guys were pivoted. I, I remember emails I would get from the YMCA, like the week of the pandemic, it's like y'all were reimagining what it needed to look like to be able to yeah. serve our community. How can we use our assets to be able to reposition them in a time where, you know what, some of this space isn't gonna be used this way. So let's make sure it's everything we can is gonna be used for our community to be able to thrive. And it sounds like you're continuing that spirit in your work with DCI. So. I guess my question is like when you pull back a little bit and you think about the lessons you've learned, it's like a, it's a leadership question, right? Because I think this article that Jess referenced at the beginning of these stats of just how many kids have been affected from this Brookings Institute article, it really named that at the end of the day, this is not a technology problem. When you talk about access, it doesn't come down to technically being a technology problem. It's a leadership challenge because leadership can solve a crisis like this by demonstrating the will to wield technology in the best interests of everybody. And I think, so technology doesn't have an opinion, right? People have an opinion how they use technology and how they, the choices they make and who gets access to what. So, and you've been a leader in the Durham community, in the Triangle community for a long time. So having gone through the last year, what lessons in leadership do you have for our listeners? I think, from your personal experience? And then I guess the second part of that question is like, what lessons have your students taught you? What lessons have you learned from your students as you serve them?
2: Yeah, the biggest lesson is leading with empathy. Mm. Leading in every aspect, right? How do we lead with empathy? And if we show up with an empathetic lens, with the empathetic mind, with the empathetic heart, then our hands, are able to do empathetic work. And what I mean by that is we're not trying to get credit for what we're doing. We just see the need and we are empathetic enough to know we need to do something about it. That's number one for that. That's my biggest lesson. Like, I I don't have any, I don't have like three, four, like, and I feel like I was pretty empathetic before, but now I'm more empathetic. And I saw it in, and, and let me say, I saw it in the Durham YMCA leadership the empathy leading from Laura Ferguson and how it just translated down to the staff, the empathy. I saw it and see it at DCI and how the empathy of making sure that our staff are taken care of so we can take care of our families. If I'm having moments, like, I need to be heard, right? And so taking the time, and unless, as you say, I'm Rob, like rolling it back a little bit, George Floyd happened. I think leaders who saw that moment And recognize that their organization needed to slow down and stop and bring everybody together, show the greatest power of leadership when it came to empathy in that way. And I believe that because folks have showed up in a different way. Folks have decided to lead in a different way. And so when George Floyd, when when the tape came out and the video came out, like there was so much tension. But it was also an opportunity for people to come together and start to hear each other and start to listen to each other and start to see each other. I hate that George Floyd had to close his eyes on that street so that our eyes could be open. Hate it. I hate that he had to take his last breath so that the world could take a different breath and breathe differently about what they're seeing, what they're experiencing, how we're showing up. But it happened. What are we gonna do now going forward that our eyes are open, and that we're breathing differently. For our young people, resilience, resilient. They are resilient. They found different ways to interact. They found different things to do with their time. Even though they're online a lot, they're finding other ways to connect with folks. They're being more innovative, more creative, and they're resilient. I've never, it's so crazy. I was with Jace this morning and I just saw him. He woke up, he, he my son, he was so tired. And I'm looking, I'm like, Man, is it over yet? <laughs> right? And, and the teacher, and I, I was like, Robin has, my wife's name is Robin. I said, Has Jay missed a day of school? She's like, Nope. That's resilient. Like, he doesn't want to get up and get in front of that keeper. If anybody knows my son, he is a so Like, he has to be out in front of it, like, Woo, let's go. Like, this thing is, but he's like, he's getting up. He's like, Okay. And I'm like, you got this, buddy. Like, come on, Black Genius. You got, come on, one more step, one more step, one more step. Let's do it. And so it's the resilience of our young people to not give up. How dare we give up when they don't give up? They need us to persevere so that they can see that I'm working towards something. The resilience of our young people to really shift and change and and smile when they don't really want to find ways to do different athletic abilities or athletic basketball and football and different things. Like finding those, they're just resilient. And that's the main thing that I re- really have seen when I young people, they don't give up, they don't quit, <laughs> like the energy drives a bunny, like, and I love it with all the things that are going on. Like some kids like, you know what, I want to go to school, but this Online thing is not for me. Let me work hard to get my GED and do it. like they're resilient. They're finding different ways to be successful.
0: Yeah, that's great. Our kids are resilient, and I love Jace, and he hasn't missed a day at school. I'm real proud of him. Can I say that? That's a sweet boy, and he is an <laughs> energizer bunny. I don't know how kids like Jace made it through, but they figure it out. Don't they figure yeah, that out? I wonder where out? he got
1: that from. I wonder where he got yeah, that. Yeah, who out? knows
0: where he might have gotten that from exactly? <laughs> who knows? <laughs> All right. This last question is, well, and and our listeners probably started to feel you preaching a little bit. One of the things we didn't mention is that you do preach, you're a minister. So, you know, Joseph has that in him. So every once in a while, you'll start to hear George Floyd close his eyes or so our eyes be open. I was like, we write that down. That was good. You know what I mean? Because Joseph will come through with that sort of divine, that divine word, which is really special and a gift to the community. Okay, friend. So, here, here's a thought, then kind of a final yeah. thought as we go into ramping up and we'll get into the hope for this work, right? But let's talk about our communities in the next five years. Yeah. We know that there's some that, that we came out. So you very clearly talked about how our community's eyes were open, that the fractures were there, pandemic hits, those fractures become deep caverns, right? That we're all staring down. And we have to figure out what to do next. And so the question is, and I love how it's posed here, how do we move forward? And Nick Allen, who's over at the United Way, says this a lot. He's like, you know, we've got systems that are in place. Like the United Way is a organization. DCI is an organization that's been there. It's been created. And it was kind of built on systems that are broken or some say aren't broken. But you know what I mean? That the systems are are doing what they're supposed to do. And Nick Allen will always say, what are we doing? Are we doing concurrent work, rebuilding, renovating an old system, or are we rebuilding a new one? It's like a house. I'm going to renovate the old house because that's the one we got versus putting up new timber, finding a new land, right? And building it the way that is going to be equitable for our community. And so I'm just curious, as you kind of cast vision for communities, what is it going to take and what do you think that approach is? You know, do we repair within the system or do we rebuild it all together or is it a combination of both? What do you think?
2: It's a big question. Thank you for that. I think if you have a foundation and it keeps cracking, you can keep pouring cement over it and trying to fill it all you want to, but eventually it's going to crack again. Sooner or later, you're going to to figure out that this foundation is not working. And I may have to either take up that whole foundation and start over, or I may have to move somewhere else because that land is just not fruitful. That land is just not producing anything that I need that's going to help me be successful. It's going to continue to sink in the ground. So now I need to go and find some place where I can be solid. I feel like we're at a point now, the system is what it is. It was built the way it was built. It is doing the things that it was built to do. Got to find new solid land to build a new foundation, to build a new system. And the only way we're going to do that is when people who have the power and authority decide to share their power and authority and make a conscious effort that we got to do this together with everybody. And if we don't come to a place of of our certain authority and powers, then again, we, won't, we will continue um, to do the same thing over and over again. So in my personal opinion, I feel like we have to build anew. And, and hear me say this, there are some parts and things around in the system or in other areas that we need to reevaluate. Do we need to keep? Do we need to throw away? But at the end of the day, the whole thing, I think, needs to be reevaluated so that we can build anew and build anew with everybody in mind, all-inclusive folks in mind as we move forward.
1: Yeah, I think that the metaphor of foundations, right, when it comes to houses, Isabella Wilkerson does a really beautiful job of this in her book, Cast, you know, just talking about Mm -hmm. this idea of structures and it really helps you make it personal because everybody can relate to what it means to have, you know, a roof over their head and to deal with foundational issues. What does that look like? And I think that's a powerful word to think about the systems that we're occupying, not being broken, but working for who they were intended to work for. And for your almost tapping, in in, many ways, Joseph's saying like, let's tap into that collective resilience because we've seen that you can build things, but let's actually reimagine what it would look like to actually center the experience of all so that we can actually build something that works for all. And I think that's a really... From your vantage point, I think that really sits, it's something we need to sit with and we need to think about what does that look like? What does that look like and not be intimidated to begin moving in that direction, right? Because I think when you think about systemic change, that feels like an overwhelming idea, but we've seen before that, you know, things, it is possible, it is possible to create these things. We gotta lean in and not be deterred and we gotta tap into that collective resilience and realize that doesn't have to be on any one, it can't be on any one of our shoulders. So right. it does require each of our personal investments I think to really to work but it we don't need to shy away from it yeah, it should feel overwhelming for us as individuals because it cannot be an individual effort.
2: Yep. Yeah. We got to do it together. Absolutely. We're going to do it. Man.
1: Yeah. And I think you're modeling I think that as you go in this work because you're critiquing the systems that in, that you're occupying so you're doing some repair work as you cast a vision for kind of those new foundations too, right? And I think embodying kind of the both end of what is gonna be necessary until we all kind of pick up that hammer and kind of lay that new foundation together. So as you think about that, the already and the not yet, holding <laughs> in the space for the in-between, that tension, what gives you hope in the in-between for your work? What gives you hope and what do you hope for the young people that you serve? So what's your fuel and what mm-hmm. is your hope for your the kids that you, you're coming alongside every day?
2: My fuel is the pennies that I pick up when I see them. And let me share, briefly. It's a long story, but briefly. The reason I pick up the pennies, initially I just started picking them up pennies. And God really spoke to me, like, do you know why you're doing this? I'm like, I'm not really sure, I'm just picking up pennies. I see them, I like them. Take a picture, I'll pick up the penny. And I was challenged one day when I was at a rest stop going to Winston-Salem or Greensboro somewhere, and there was a penny behind the toilet, and what looked like could have been water or pee. I have no idea. <laughs> what it was. And he spoke to me, and said, hey, I'm like, man, I don't want to pick up that penny. He was like, are oh, you going to pick this penny up? And I eventually picked up the penny and went to the sink, washed it off, dah, 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 dah. Like, I'm like, oh, I got such a penny. And and he really said the reason I had you picking up these pennies because those are the least of them. Those are the ones that people continue to walk over to pay less attention to, to think that they don't matter. And so every day, what gives me hope is I'm not walking over people that society might think don't matter. I see them, and I'm paying attention, and I'm picking them up. Whatever that pickup looks like, whatever that pickup is, whatever that pickup needs to be, I'm seeing them, and I'm picking them up. Whether they're in dirt, or in in the gutter, or in water, or whatever the case may be, I'm picking them up. And what he also said to me is that you didn't do a bad thing by going to wash the penny off because what you did was you were starting to wash and clean off and help get the, whatever dirt, whatever residue is off of what people thought was worthless. Mm. And if you think about it, pennies don't need nickels or dimes or quarters to make them, but nickels, dimes, and quarters needs pennies. At the end of the day, everybody needs the penny that we continue to walk over. And so what gives me hope is I'm seeing people. And I'm not walking over them, whatever it may be. I'm not perfect. I miss it sometimes. But I remember that everybody is worth something. Everybody is valuable. Everybody has something to bring to the table. I don't care what you look like. I don't care what it seems like. I don't care what the situation that I found you in, you're worth something. And when we start to see people as being worth something, then we will start to pick each other up. And that's what gives me hope for the work I do every day when I get up because I know I'm going to do something impactful, not for people, but with people, alongside folks. And the same thing with the young folks that we work with, that we continue to um, connect with, and the families that we connect with, we are going to pick them up and not to carry them away to something, but to help them to be seen. I go back to my main two things, attention and access. And that's what our job is, to help people be seen. And that's what gives me hope that I feel like helping others see people as well. I hope that answers your question.
0: That was such a nice story. Wasn't it, Rob? Oh, yeah. Like now when I see Does it, Doesn't answer my
2: question. Come on. That was so yeah, good.
0: It, it was answers amazing. the question.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Was I've sermon. heard it before, that but I'd I, I
1: love to hear that. I can hear that every day.
0: Yeah. I love that. It was great. All right, friend. Here's how we land the plane. I think you know this. We do a show up moment. We talked about a lot today, so you can really pick whatever you want here. But What's the highest and best use of our listeners, resources, time, talents, gifts, when it comes to what we just talked about today? How can they engage in this work, engage in this topic in a way that will matter? How should they show up?
2: They should try.
0: Right. Try every day. I love that full (laughs) circle. I love you took us to the top. You took us right back to the top. I love it. They should
2: try. try. We got to try. Yeah. Mm. Got to try. Gotta try.
1: Maybe yeah, yeah. waking yeah. up every day and, and asking Joseph, like turning that back into a question, like, am I trying? Am, right. Yeah.
0: That's am, right. I am I trying? trying?
2: Kind of checking in
1: with yourself every day. And then at the end of
2: the day, did I try? <laughs> yeah. Did I try? Right. So at the beginning of the day, am I trying? And At the end of the day, did I try? Yeah. So that's, that, that would be for me, like from whatever people heard, felt, we got to try.
0: Mm. <laughs> I think that, yeah. I think it's, it, I say this a thousand times, but again, simple, not simplistic. That's a really, that's the way to look at this, right? Because it's easy to say, I'm going to ask myself that question and evaluate at the end, but how many actually do that? And that's challenging for me. You know, we run through our days. We got a million things on our calendar. And what's the intention? We Talk about this a lot, just setting intention for the day. And it shouldn't just be about self-serving work right? The intention should be outside of just the things you need to accomplish for you that day. So I love that. I love the simplicity of that, Joseph. And I love that you joined us, friends, so much wisdom that you drop. So it's such calm energy that you bring to a very difficult topic and to one that can be high stress, can be anxiety ridden, right? We're talking about our kids and our future and their mental health, their wellness, their learning. This is a lot. The this, this stakes could not be higher than a generation. And I appreciate that you're able to have sort of this very thoughtful approach and give us things and ways to look at it that, are, that we could probably accomplish. Like, okay, not overwhelming, but we do have to dig in and also mm-hmm. not have a fast food approach yeah. and, a, a, you know, forget about, just move on. Like we've moving on because the problems don't go away just because we turned around. So yeah. I appreciate that friend. Any final mm. thoughts for us? We're grateful for you.
2: Uh, I'm good. Thank you all so much. I appreciate being here again. Uh, y'all amazing human beings. And I just love being in y'all presence. Mm. So thank you. Well, same here. Same Keep here. Keep
1: up the good work. Keep picking up those pennies, Joseph. I think you've inspired our listeners to to do the same, man. Follow your example and, and move Indeed. at a pace and, and move in the way that you see the world that you will see the pennies. You see the pennies yeah. and you come alongside of them, not for, but with, I love it, man. I love it. You've given us a lot of nuggets that you want. So appreciate you, brother. Appreciate Thanks you. for being here.
0: Thanks, friend. Thank you. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. Good stuff.
1: Oh yeah. he. That was, there was a lot of meat on those bones and it was very succinct. He, he packed a punch and, and he mm-hmm. chose his words carefully. I love when our guests come and they say, in five words, what could take 25 or more. And Mm -hmm. it felt like he just had those succinct nuggets for us to just really chew on that I know will stay with me throughout my day and week and hopefully month and and longer. But I think that last part, I'd heard that story about the pennies before. He had done that on a recity town hall when he was a guest. So we shared that with our entire network and man, it's inspiring. And I was gonna ask him at the end to not like, hey, circle back for our listeners. And explain why you pick up pennies, and that is a profound analogy. And I think that whole idea of the God-given dignity of every person, yeah, and their inherent worth because of that. Yeah, I think that penny analogy, the whole, whole idea, even if it being dirty doesn't mean that they're inherently just wrong, right, as a person, but like the the dirt that has been put on top of them, they they need to be cleaned up, and this idea of to complement that with mutuality, you know? Because the first lesson is about the person that he's serving. The second is like how you see that person and how you see yourself in interacting with that person in this idea of not for, but with. I think he truly believes he's partnering with the community. He's centering them in the story in a way that is is so powerful because that whole spirit of mutuality just cuts through the paternalism, right? Which is so often... I think the case in a lot of charity work that you've got a lot of big budget organizations that raise money on paternalism and saying, hey, come yeah. help us fix the broken people versus we're all broken. Let's partner together so that we can see each other and really build something together that would be more beautiful than if I come in with that doctor mentality and you're the patient. And I think that right. humility is just really... Someone that has a lot of reasons not to be humble, and yet just evokes a spirit of such a deep humility really resonated with me. What about you, Jess? What stood out to you in that conversation?
0: You know, I feel like I shared some of it as we were going along, the things that really impacted me when Joseph is talking. It, it is genuinely his just overall spirit and the way that he looks at his where he stands within a community. Like, it's just how he views his role, how he sees the work that needs to be done. There's something about the lens that he wears that I'm always very inspired by. And it's always incredibly challenging too. And again, having someone like Joseph in our life as a friend, we can take it for granted, but the perspective that he carries is really, I think, very valuable. And a lot of people don't have people in their life that continually remind them of these sort of ways to approach community. And so I just, once again, I'm just always like, that's right. This is the right way to do it in a humble posture and in an active posture. He's working. Mm-hmm. Joseph is working and he's listening to the voices of those that we call marginalized, which I don't mm-hmm. love that, but we call people marginalized. And he's listening to those voices and bringing them forward. So I love that. I love everything about it. And I think what he said at the end that we just need to try and then you reframing it, are you trying and did I try? And Am I trying at the beginning of the day and did I try at the end is a very simple framework Mm. for everyone, period. You can apply that, not even just in community. You just talk about your marriage, talk about your family, talk about your work, talk about the team that you lead. Am I trying and did I try? You know, Am I better today than I was yesterday? That's real growth, and it's incremental and change, and I think that we can all take some lessons from that.
1: And he did, for me, he modeled this in the conversation. I felt it. I don't know if you felt it when he was describing George Floyd and his breath in a way that i never, I've been yeah. sitting with this, that reality. And obviously, like our listeners, by the time of this episode airs, the Chauvin verdict is, is in the rearview mirror now. We're still awaiting the, the sentencing, but that, that still looms large over us as a nation. And yet we can be desensitized to that and not have empathy, almost because it just becomes white noise to us. Yeah. So even those who are leaning in and not look, trying to look away, it can, you can just be numb to it for different reasons. But I think for me, there was an unnumbing where it helped me gain more empathy just in the way he humanized him in a way that often is not found, uh, it, the humanity is not front and center. Uh, and he kind of restored his humanity to me and yeah. how he talked about his breathing, not just the amount of time, not just all the facts that are like, you can kind of absorb from a distance, but he humanized him to me again in a way that I needed and I need every day when I, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think this idea of, am I running and am I moving at a pace in this world where I can, where am I doing that for the people that I see? Am I even, Mm -hmm. do I have a lens where I even actually see the people around me and see the people who are being, like you said, marginalized is a buzzword, but like that the reality is are being pushed to the margins of our society. And do I see them? Do I really yeah. see them and am, is my lifestyle, even conducive to that sight and to that empathy? Cause that's a word he hit on that yeah, I think is really, I think proximity can lead to empathy, you know, if, if done in the right way. And I think as someone who is a pro, a leader, who's getting proximate to people who are hurting and who are, you know, operating in the margins of our world. I think that's something that there's a lot of lessons there for us to, to do some self-reflection and to think about, am I, like you said, fast food, are we sprinters where we need to become marathoners? And that's an analogy we've used before. Like, do we need to change? Cause those folks yeah. operate at different, they train differently. Sprinters and yeah. marathoners train differently and have different muscle. They develop different muscles for different races. Are we run, t- are we training at a sprinters marathon? We just move on to the next thing you know, know, Dougal Terraces of the world. If you're local to Durham and you realize, man, I haven't thought about them in a year. Well, guess what? Guess who has thought about them? People who live there and think those realities that they inherited two months before a pandemic. You know, we can't be taking a relief mindset when kind of this long-term development, sometimes relief is needed, but it needs to move towards this long-term development. So man, there's a lot. I feel like
0: we- (laughs) One thing I want to say when you said it, The humanization of George Floyd, I just want to remind our listeners again that there is a, it's like a little bit of cognitive dissonance around Mm. this. And Joseph is a black man. And when he saw George Floyd being murdered in front of him, he saw himself. He saw his friends. He saw Jason 20 years because he's the man that looks like him. So it's easy for Joseph to humanize it because it's and for me and for my son to humanize it because it's like watching a loved one or a family member or yourself. And so not to speak for Joseph, because he's not on the call anymore, but he's thinking about his breath. He's thinking about closing his eyes. He's thinking about, he probably thought about that moment differently than any, you know, than you would Rob, because you're watching it. And Joseph can't imagine living it. And so it will always be different. But that's the challenge for our white allies, our white brothers and sisters, is to don't forget that that it's more than just an event. It's like a simulation and you pick the player. Mm. And that is scary for the Black community when we see stuff like that. And it so it becomes very real to us real, like really real, like imagining if I switched out the player who it could be my son. And that's the difference, I think. And I just wanted to point it out because I think we do get so removed from it. We start putting the time and nine minutes and all these things to it. But to, to not forget that the trauma of that incident is living in the DNA of the Black community today and will for years to come, because we won't forget it for a very long time. And so just as a, not to like end on that note, but I just think it's important to, to just remember how it was experienced. Mm.
1: Yeah. In, entering into this idea of stories, right? We hit that in one of our previous guests of a truer story. I think entering into each other's stories is an absolutely essential part of this because I mean, you got to connect the dots of these two conversations we've had today of like the educational gaps, We're talking, it's not like these students, the young people he's working with have lived in a vacuum. They've seen the same videos that we're talking about. And so, especially if you're black and brown, you're not trying, not only are you trying to navigate, you know, oftentimes the disparity gaps of falling behind in school because of, I have a lack of access to this technology, et cetera, but you're doing it against the backdrop of what's on TV. And like you said, the trauma of all this, like compounding effects of all of it, and so, We've gotta really, if you're white, I think it can be really easy to lose the humanity in all this real fast. Because honestly, the news wants you to. The news is gonna sensationalize this and they're gonna hit you over and over. And, and as you're leaning into it, you're gonna become desensitized. And that's where relationship is key as a preventative measure to that. Because you, you need to be able to have friends and then people who you're doing life with that really help you to always remember the dignity that is, that is being assaulted in, in instances of injustice so that you'll feel it and then be motivated to try, which, there we go. all goes back to the framework he laid out for us, man. Goodness gracious. Well I feel like I'm gonna go back and listen to this episode and then write a whole commentary about my thoughts because of how, how much meat was there. But, friend, yeah, this is good. Yeah. I'm blessed to have done this with you. And, and, man, thankful for leaders like Joseph who are in our community doing the work and picking up pennies. Let's do the same. Let's be inspired, but let's not just look at How awesome he is. Let's go and and, and try to do likewise, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, until next time. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate you. See you, you. Jess. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to Just. In the spirit of sharing, if you like what you've heard, tell a friend about the show and give us a five-star rating and review.
1: Many thanks to DJ p Dog and producer Low Key for producing the music for our show. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.